Hello and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements and this is the podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime. In each episode, a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. Today, we're joined by screenwriter, co-founder of the London Comedy Film Festival and trustee for arts charity, Arts Emergency, Jonathan Wakeham. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, Sam. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you for joining us. You're a, you're a busy man. You're, you're, I had to condense your CV. Um, <laughs> but you, you do, you work on a lot of things. Yes. I mean, I think that's just very, that comes from good fortune. I mean, I think probably at this point in time, the most important of them is arts emergency. I mean, this point in time being in the middle of a uh, lockdown across the world where it feels particularly important to support young people I think particularly young people from difficult backgrounds because they tend also to be the people who a need the most support but b are most likely to not have uh, brilliant internet access they're you know isolated from their schools and a lot of the support networks that maybe they need and our team have been amazing at kind of stepping up to look after everybody, keep the mentoring going, keep reading scripts, sending out tickets, and, uh, you know, I guess helping them to get through a very, very challenging time to be a teenager. I must say, I'm, I'm a big supporter of Arts Emergency. I felt like I did a very grown-up thing a few years ago. I set up a standing order to a charity, and the charity I chose was Arts Emergency. Thank you so much. That really means a lot. Part of that was because I know you, and I know how much hard work you put into it, but a number of my friends and colleagues have been involved in, in various ways. I know what Arts Emergency does now, but I don't really know how it started. How did you get involved? The, the charity was set up by Josie Long, the uh, comedian and writer, and Neil Griffiths, who was a very successful and effective charity campaigner and runner. So I, I think I heard about it. I knew Josie a bit. And so as soon as I heard about it, I thought, well, that seems like a, a good thing to do and hopefully something where I might be able to help by meeting young people, talking with young people. I'd done, I mean, I was also on the board of Camden People's Theatre at that point, which is very much a theatre for new and emerging talent and for kind of radical outsider voices. And Arts Emergency felt like a very good fit with that as a, as a project. So, I mean, I couldn't claim to be involved other than as a trustee and to help out where I can, you know, meeting students, reading their work, seeing plays with them, recommending films, things like that. Uh, you know, and I think it's about opening up a world that can feel very, very closed and very far away if you don't have any kind of family or contacts who, who work in that environment. Listeners, we'll put a link in the show notes to read more about Arts Emergency. Would highly recommend uh, doing that and giving them a follow on social media as well. Also, if you become a supporter, you get a nice badge. I'm so proud of my badge. And then also a lot of people, you know, do come up to you and say, well, what is that? Tell me about it. And then, of course, you know, I leave them with a link and uh, instruction 
to um, sign up and help out however they can. And that might be through donations, but it might also be through joining the network of mentors and supporters and just giving some advice where you know where you can. The other thing, I think, uh, especially people in London, I guess, who are into the film scene might be familiar with you uh, from is the London Comedy Film Festival, which is such a good program. I know it's taken sort of many shapes over the years, but I've seen some absolutely fantastic films as part of your lineup for that. Thank you so much. I'm really glad that you have seen some very good films. I think, look, we're blessed in this country. We have an extraordinary very diverse, very talented range of young filmmakers working in comedy. And I think, you know, for me, there's a very clear link between Arts Emergency, Canada People's Theatre and Loco in that they're all about, uh, I guess, looking for arts and how that merges with people's experience. And I think about bringing voices that we don't necessarily hear on big screens into big screens. You know, my programming strategy was, I mean, I basically stole it from The Wizard of Oz. We look for films with brains, heart and courage. So it had to be about something. Uh, It had to be emotional. It had to make you care. And I think we always wanted things that pushed the boundaries either creatively or emotionally or politically in some kind of a way. I mean, I do love a film that just makes you laugh, but it always felt important to find ones that did more than that, that aimed higher and really gave us something to think about as well as something to laugh about. When it comes to your free time viewing, does the film's runtime ever come into your decision making process? There are two slightly different answers. One is, I think probably like a lot of us, there's a practical reason if you're at home for an evening and you're looking at the you know, pile of DVDs or your Netflix watch list and sometimes your eye does slightly stray to the shorter ones uh, on the list. But I think also what I was thinking, you know, when we were first talking about doing the podcast, I realised that there were things that I admired about films of 90 minutes or less. One of which is, I think, it shows a clear sense of purpose that, you know, I will tell this story as clearly and concisely as I possibly can. And I admire that that kind of absolute sense of, of, uh, of, of purpose. And I think secondly, there's a there's a humility to a shorter film. You know, there is no self-important films under 90 minutes. And I think, you know, we're living in a in an era of, of uh, cinema bloat where, you know, you look at the awards movies and they're, you know, sprawling into the two and three quarter hours mark. And I think, you know, when you look at the 90 minutes films and, and I think particularly when you look at directors like Howard Hawks or Billy Wilder or, or Kelly Reichardt or Greta Goeg, you know, they're making films that are very sharp, very focused, very to the point. But just as satisfying as the the big, sprawly, possibly self-aggrandizing epics. So I gave you some homework, Jonathan, and uh, how did you tackle this? How did you, you know, whittle your choice down to the film we're going to talk about today? I mean, oddly, I found it very easy to do a long list, which I think I sent you. So I was looking at films. I mean, there's a wonderful Issa Lopez movie called Tigers Are Not Afraid, that I was very nearly was number one on the list. Um, I really recommend it to everybody. Obviously, there's a lot of comedies that come in under 90 minutes from the sort of classic era. Um, A lot of film noir movies, again, are in that, you know, which I love. Again, they have that absolute clarity of purpose. But it was not difficult, I think, to make our final choice. And Jonathan, what film did you choose for us today? Wendy and Lucy by Kelly Reichardt. (laughs) 
Wendy Carroll, Michelle Williams, is driving to Alaska in hope of a summer of lucrative work and the start of a new life with her beloved dog, Lucy. When her car breaks down in Oregon, however, the thin fabric of her financial situation comes apart and she finds herself desperately searching for her only true friend. Wow. I mean, that's quite... I mean, that brings a tear to my eye. It's quite bleak as a promise on the back of a of a box um you know normally they do try and go you know ultimately uplifting which normally means <laughs> main character dies normally they find some way of you know lightening the mood a little but i think that's that's wow i mean i think that's both d- true but possibly self-sabotaging from a commercial perspective but i think i really like that phrase about the the fabric the the thinness of the fabric because i think there's a beautiful phrase that Kelly Reichardt used in an interview actually at the BFI where she said I make films about people with no safety net and I think that sense of the fabric being thin is something that runs through all of her films very 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 beautifully and is a lot of the reason why I was keen to talk about her today. This was released in 2008, uh, American movie directed by Kelly Reichardt, co-written with John Raymond um, and it's based on John Raymond's short story The Train Choir. I think Kelly Reichardt and John Raymond worked together previously on Old Joy as well. This is their second collaboration. Yes, and it's continued. It's a really wonderful, close relationship. So they, it was Old Joy, which is, again, it's a story from the same collection as Train Choir, which is a book called Livability. And then they also wrote Mixed Cut-Off together and Night Moves. And uh, her new movie, First Cow, is another collaboration with him. Went in Lucy is based on the story, but the story is also based on a conversation or conversations between Kelly Reichardt and uh, John Raymond before he wrote the story. So, it the, so the story came out of a process that they had together, which then became the film. One of the interesting changes to me is that in the in the book, Wendy is called Verna, and she doesn't have a surname. In the in the film, rather, she's called Wendy Carroll. It's hard not to think Wendy from Peter Pan and Carol from Lewis Carroll that you've got, you know, Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan. These two stories of, you know, people going on adventures into strange landscapes filled with uh, surprise and terror and strange characters. And it, which is really interesting, it, it, it feels as if there is a sort of fairy tale quality to this story, despite its very, very grounded realism in the America. I mean, it's, well, of course, 2008, right? So the film was made post-Hurricane Katrina, and it was made just at the beginning, really, of the economic crash of 2008. It's like a realist fantasy, which I don't know if that quite makes sense. But, you know, she's dropped into this world, in this town, where she doesn't know anybody and and she's exploring and she's kind of, you know, if this was a Lewis Carroll film, she's making friends along the way. And in a Kelly Reichardt film, she's, you know, sort of struggling to make ends meet along the way. But it's that same sort of quest journey there. The stakes are not maybe as fantastical as in a Lewis Carroll film, but they're really real stakes. You know, she's living on nothing, basically. She's carrying all the cash she owns in the world on a, on a, on a belt around her chest, you know, and, and she's, uh, she's sleeping in her car. She's someone who's, who's so vulnerable. And, and I think that's hugely affecting as an audience member. I think that's absolutely right. And of course, the story's called Train Choir and the, the whistle of trains in the night is the first and the last sound that we hear in the, in the movies. It's absolutely bookended by that 
to buy the trains. And then we're straight into this very, again, very fairy tale beginning. She's walking through a wood with a dog. That's how we first encounter her. So it's very once upon a time. But then, as you say, there's this beautiful blend. I mean, actually, it's interesting. Weirdly, Tigers Are Not Afraid is also this sort of very social realist fairy tale. There is The detail is so precise in this movie and it was absolutely set in the town where it's shot. It's set at the time where it's shot. Michelle Williams actually lived in her car for a week before they started making the movie to uh, become Wendy to the, as great a degree as, as, as she could. And some of the characters in the movie are real people from the town and obviously some of them some of them are actors, but I think there's a very clear process, I think, that Kelly Reichardt talks about in terms of working with actors. And it's a very I mean, it's written, it's plotted, it's very carefully worked through, but it's a it's a process she calls open cinema. So she says, I've got this quote from her, the actors and I will talk about where each of their characters are at the moment when the film drops in on them. It's sort of like a pit stop you made in town. And then you move on. And I think that quality of dropping in on people is something that runs through all of her films, even though she's crossed different genres and, and periods over the course of her you know, really remarkable career. And of course, the pit stop analogy makes sense in terms of the runtime. You know, this is just a brief window into Wendy's life. The nice thing about that is it leaves you wanting more. I want to know what happens to this character in the future. I think it's such a good point. And I think, I mean, again, it's one of the joys of your film festival is, is that, you know, that's what I think these shorter films tend to do. They leave us wanting more. They leave us with questions. They leave us with something to talk about in the pub or the, you know, dinner afterwards. And, you know, I think that open cinema approach that she was talking about with actors is also true of her relationship with John Raymond, but I think it's also true of her relationship with us as the audience. So we are welcomed in and then the characters move on and we're left as the lights come up again, you know, with, with a conversation to have about, about the people that we've, we've got to know in some depth, you know, even this very short space of time. There's a really lovely relationship in this film between Wendy and a uh, security guard at uh, uh, Walgreens, and and they both they both get each other. You know, he is the ally in this in this journey. And they only ever meet on the side of the street, and they have this. The only thing they share in common, really, is that they're both on the street at the same time. But he gets her, and he gets where she's come from, and I, I love that. That those scenes in particular between Wendy and that security guard. Well, he's a wonderful character. He's an actor called Wally Dalton, and yes, you're right. He notices her. He sees that he's a young that she's a young woman in trouble. He approaches her, and it's very very interesting. That one of the things I really like about the film is that he he has to move her on. She shouldn't be parked in that car park. He has to move her on, but he knows that that's kind of a asshole thing to do but he acknowledges that it's an asshole thing to do he's like I'm really sorry this is what I have to do and there's a real feeling I think in all of her films that that that, that you know the characters are prisoners of capitalism and of the system that they're working in and they're not you know he's a man doing a job but he doesn't really get to make choices those choices are made for him by the system that he's in and actually there's a moment he says to her you can't get an address without an address. You can't get a job without a job. It's all fixed. And I think, you know, in, in the context of the crash of 2008, and of course, in the context of now, you know, the, that feels beautifully simply put, but also 
really quite profound about the state that people find themselves in. Not a lot of jobs around here, huh? <laughs> I'll say. I don't know what the people do all day. Used to be a mill, but it's been closed a long time now. Don't know what they do. Can't get a job without an address anyway. <laughs> or a phone. You can't get an address without an address. You can't get a job without a job. It's all fixed. This film stars Michelle Williams. It's the first of many collaborations between Michelle Williams and, and Kelly Reithart. And a lot of people, when this film came out, still remember Michelle Williams from being on Dawson's Creek. And and in this film, you know, I, I think people often say this about actors who play, you know, something different or playing X type. But Michelle Williams is unrecognizable in this film if you know her previous work. Yeah, you know, Michelle Williams has gone on to work with so many great auteur directors, indie filmmakers. This came out the same year she worked with Charlie Kaufman on Synecdoche, New York, and a whole bunch of you know great, great stuff. But I do think we get a different Michelle Williams on screen with Kelly Reithart. It's an extraordinary relationship, isn't it? I think Michelle Williams is, is a phenomenal actor. She's so captivating. And it's almost this is almost like the opposite of her playing Marilyn Monroe. You know, in, in that movie. There's that extraordinary moment where she says, shall I be Marilyn? And she just turns on the the absolute megawatt power of Marilyn Monroe in um, Marilyn and Me. And then in these films, in the Kelly Reichardt films, it's like she's dialing it down to an extraordinary degree. There's this phenomenal kind of internal energy, I think, like a kind of imploding star that you get in this one, obviously a mixed cutoff. And I think particularly in certain women, you know, where she's absolute, like, as you say, there's a kind of unrecognisable distance and tension and she's so angular. It's like all of the little details, like how Wendy packs her bag and how she washes herself and... Like, I just think that's that's Michelle Williams, you know, really doing something quite true on screen in those moments. And and I I'm, I'm you know, I'm sure a million people could play this role, but it wouldn't be Wendy and Lucy without Michelle Williams in that lead role. No, I think that's very true. Now, let's remember, it also would not be Wendy and Lucy without Lucy in the co-lead role. So we probably should also talk about Lucy. You know, the titular characters are Wendy, a human, played by Michelle Williams, and Lucy, a dog, played by Lucy, the dog. So you probably know this better than me, but Lucy is Kelly Reithart, was Kelly Reithart's actual dog, who'd also been in some of her other work. Yes, Lucy also played Lucy, but a, a different Lucy, in Old Joy. I mean, I'm fascinated by the nuances between Lucy's performances in... Wendy and Lucy and Old Joy. I think in Old Joy, she's a slightly more dismissive dog. Whereas in Wendy and Lucy, she's really quite a an engaging, optimistic dog. Although also she does have an extraordinary capacity for anger. She's very pissed off when Wendy tries to leave her outside the, the supermarket. Kelly Riker is not a huge dog person. She's not someone who's always had dogs, but she did have this dog. Lucy sadly is no longer with us, but Certain Women is dedicated to Lucy. And after watching all of Kelly Reichardt's films in a week, I did have a little a little weep when I saw that title for Lucy at the end of Certain Women, because, you know, it had been a very, you know, another significant creative partnership, I'd say. What I like about the story with Kelly and Lucy is it was a practical arrangement to put Lucy in Kelly Reichardt's films because... 
there was no one else who could look after the dog. She knew she wanted to make these feature films and that would require being away from home for a certain amount of days. And it was just made sense to write the dog into the film. And and I'm glad she did because we get some really great moments in both Old Joy and Wendy and Lucy because of it. It's probably my favorite story of an on-screen dog. Like when else does that happen? It's, it's really true. And I think part of it is that Kelly Reichardt treats Lucy in the same way that she treats every other Kelly Reichardt character, which is to say with compassion, but never with sentimentality. You know, she's never anthropomorphized. She's absolutely just a dog. She's never made to look particularly cute. She's not always even very nice, but she is a great dog. And I think, I think you know, Kelly Reichardt's relationship with nature is really interesting. And you can see it again with the horses in Certain Women and in Meek's Cutoff, of course. And I'm hoping with the cow in First Cow. Again, you know, she loves animals. She connects with animals, but she never sentimentalizes animals or anthropomorphizes animals. They are what they are and they are where they are and they do what they do. And I think there's a really great line, I think it's again from the BFI interview where she said, I like chores, routine and process. And I think that's really true. She loves, as you say, the, the action of filling a bag, the action of washing yourself, the action of feeding an animal. Genuinely, I think my favourite dog moment maybe in any film is actually in Certain Women, where Lily Gladstone's dog is chasing after her tractor. And it's just the joy of a dog bounding through the snow after a tractor. And it's just this feeling of an animal, you know, unleashed and boundless in a landscape. And I think Kay Riker has such a such a love of, of animals without ever, yeah, without ever feeling cute. Hi, uh, my name is Wendy Carroll. I lost my dog, Lucy, and uh, yeah, yeah, hi. Well, I was just calling to check and see if there was any new information. Okay, all right, I, I understand. I'll keep checking. Okay, thank you. In terms of plot for Wendy and Lucy, the, the, the main drama takes place when Lucy is removed from Wendy uh, because Wendy is arrested after um, shoplifting and, and she leaves Lucy tied up outside the convenience store. When she returns from her trip to jail, Lucy is no more. And even though Lucy is not on screen for maybe, I don't know, like half the film, you always feel her presence because Wendy's single goal is to find Lucy and you know, travel around the town to, to find her dog. So it doesn't, you don't, you do miss her, but it doesn't feel like she's not there anymore. Uh, I think that's a real testament, I guess, to the performance and also just uh, the pacing of the film at that point. I, I think it's a very good point, Sam. I mean, it's a bit like, I mean, I guess to think of two other title characters who rarely appear. I mean, I guess if you think about Rebecca or you think about Laura, you know, two of my absolute favourite films. Yeah, absolutely. They're films where the title character is absent for be careful about spoilers but much of the film but where you absolutely feel their presence all the way through and, uh, and where Lucy's a very strong presence and there's that beautiful scene where um, Wendy goes to the dog pound to look for Lucy and it's uh, you're absolutely desperate 
to see Lucy at that point as we're looking across all of these dogs. It's a bit like, I was watching, I was thinking about blue is the warmest colour. You know, when you become so alert to, just for looking for that particular blue of the character's hair and you're so desperate for them to be together again. And you absolutely feel that when um, Wendy's at the pound. It's like this long tracking shot, isn't it, of all of the, the open kennels of the dogs. It feels like quite a long sequence because you're waiting for Lucy, but also because it is genuinely just quite a long sequence. And it's very simple. It's just the camera moves side to side across all of these kennels and you're looking at the shape of every dog, the colour of the dog. Is that Lucy? Is that Lucy? And there's a part of you which knows, you know, at this point in the film, she can't just find Lucy in the pound, <laughs> but you still want to find Lucy. Yes, I, and I love how much how much we start to care. And of course, this isn't a spoiler, I'd be careful, but there's this lovely moment when Wendy makes a missing dog poster for Lucy and she doesn't have very much money left, but she manages to find a photograph and then she goes to a photocopying shop, uh, which feels like quite a retro thing to do now. And she makes a poster and... I, th- I think it feels very key that the the headline on the poster says, I'm lost. And you realise it's as much about Wendy as it is about Lucy. Because, of course, you know, Wendy is lost without Lucy. You know, we know from the film that she can't rely on her family. Her sister is, I think, treating her quite badly. It's really beautifully sketched in the the kind of why she left where she was before and what she was doing before, but it clearly is not good and clearly has been very painful for her. And so you really feel that, you know, yeah, Lucy is absolutely her her kind of best friend and last resort, and you're so desperate for them to be reunited. Yeah. One of my notes when I rewatched the film was just sad. Just wrote sad on a piece of paper <laughs> because <laughs> the beginning, you know, Wendy's situation is quite worrying it's quite sad that she's living this way but at least she has the dog and then when lucy goes you know her distress is so upsetting and i think for anybody who's had a a close relationship with a person a place an animal when that is taken away you know some of us may have experienced it but you may have seen it in people it completely turns your world upside down and, and the film captures that so beautifully and then the end of the film is also so sad there isn't even a there is a there is maybe a happy ending, but I think immediately it's also quite a tough ending for the film. So I stand by that. Wendy and Lucy, sad. <laughs> I think it's a very good point. And I think, you. I mean, I, again, as we said earlier, I think what's great about a Kelly Reichardt film is that you could watch them on different days and come out feeling, oh, Wendy will come back for Lucy or... That is the end. You know, they will never see each other again, depending on the mood that you're in and the day that you've had and who you're seeing the film with. And I love that. I love that openness. But it is aching, I think. And there's a moment when Lucy is looking at Wendy. Wendy comes to find Lucy and Wendy says, I'm sorry, Lou, I lost the car. And when she's saying that, genuinely, that apology is so heartfelt that, you know, we're in this together. This, this is, you know, with Thelma Louise and I lost the car. And I love the sincerity of that. And there's a very, it's, it's I had to go back and look at it again because I wasn't quite sure. But there's one shot of Lucy's face that's just very slightly slowed down. And it's so beautiful. It's like 
you know, it's like the the one blink in La Jete. It just feels so perfectly placed, just a little flourish. But it's just this moment of Lucy's face turning to look up at Wendy, and it's it absolutely gets to you in the in the heart of your soul it's it's so moving what do you make of that sort of how the film ends you know we can go into spoilers here is it the ending you wanted personally from this film i think it's the right ending i think there is a happy ending where wendy finds lucy but as wendy acknowledges if she finds lucy that creates more problems in that she knows that, well, I need to feed you, I need to look after you, I don't have the car anymore, what are we going to do? And so, you know, what Wendy, I guess, does is she feels that Lucy is in a secure, caring environment. She feels that Lucy is going to be safe. And, you know, she makes the decision that the best way I can look after Lucy is to leave her, hopefully go to Alaska, hopefully get the job, hopefully get the money, the means I can then afford to look after my dog and keep her in the style to which she should be accustomed. You know, so it's a very self-sacrificing act, I guess. And I, I, I do find that really beautiful that, that, she's, that she decides to sacrifice her own immediate happiness for Lucy's longer-term well-being. And I don't doubt possibly because I'm a Tigger, not an Eeyore by nature. But in you know, in my head, she's absolutely planning to, you know, come back for Lucy when she knows she can afford Lucy. Mm. I feel you're just left with your piece of paper saying sad. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think, I think also because I've known some very close family members have had dogs uh, in their life and I sort of, I get that relationship. I, we keep cats at home, you know, I, I absolutely get it. And I think my, I just want the short term win of her being able to have a nice time with, with Lucy. But of course the joy of this film and how it's written is, you know, in that middle act, she learns, I think as well, you see this in people, you, you tell people telling someone you can't support a dog right now is not what that person wants to hear. They need the dog. And we see that Wendy needs the dog. But because Wendy goes through this experience without Lucy, she realizes she actually cannot keep Lucy in which how she needs to be kept. And it's it's that showing which is so important. And the fact that she makes the bigger, the harder decision at the end uh, is like probably good for the character to grow. Uh, to be able to come back and, and collect Lucy, hopefully in um, in the sequel that we're all looking forward to one day. I, look, I agree. I think it makes Wendy a hero. I, you know, it's it's such a kind of bold, brave, heroic choice to make, knowing what it will cost her personally not to have Lucy with her. You can look at that with a a hope that maybe there's a a future to be figured out, or maybe. Maybe there isn't. Again, I think it, it, you know, she leaves it beautifully open for us to, to make up our minds. Obviously, this film is called Wendy and Lucy. It's directed by a woman. I think it absolutely is a feminist movie. Technically, does not pass the Bechdel test. So I think we need to invent the Barkdale test. <laughs> there must be some phrase for a film where the relationship between a woman and her dog should allow allow us to pass the test because I think that relationship is as important as the relationship between any two women in any film ever made.
Wendy and Lucy is in our film festival. I'm really pleased to have this. I've, I've, I've been lucky enough to see this film a number of times and I'd love to see it in a packed auditorium full of people. But I, what I want to know from you, Jonathan, is how will you... And you're someone who puts on a film festival, so I'm expecting big ideas here. Um, how would you theme our cinema? How would you get the audience in the mood? How would you complement the film that they're about to watch on screen in the setting where people will watch this? I mean, look, this is a dilemma. BFI South Bank is my spiritual home. It's where my festival is. It's where I feel I grew up. So obviously there's a version where we screen it in NFT1 and Kelly Reichart is there and I get to interview her myself. That's the, the thing I get to claim as a programmer. You obviously beside me. But then there's a part of me that feels that, you know, we should be looking at it in a small town in Oregon, that we should all arrive by train or by car or on foot, that we should all arrive as strangers. We should all bring our dogs and then we should sit together as strangers and watch the film together. And during the course of that film, become an audience, become people who are sharing an experience, um, possibly sitting two metres apart from one another. But then I feel that after the film, we should all have a meal together and celebrate that physical sharing of space and sharing of story and sharing of meaning and sharing of society that is what cinema does so so brilliantly. And I think what Kelly Reichert most cares about, you know, she cares about the invisible bonds between people that sometimes the systems around us can snap. But when things become difficult, I think they grow stronger. And at our best, we, we care more about other people and we look out for other people. And I think that's the screening I want to have. That sounds like a very memorable screening and, and also very true to the film. I would, I guess, as the festival producer, maybe add my flourish, which would be, we'll all go on a walk in the woods near this beautiful town and we'll, we'll, take a, we'll go to the dog pound and we'll take all the dogs out and it'll be a mass dog walk and a communal way for us to talk about the movie. Sam, that is genius. Please, can we do that? The dog walk screening of Wendy and Lucy honestly would be the best the best thing for all of us and uh, would make a better world. The title of the screening would be Wendy and Lucy, and then we'll name all the dogs we're going to walk. So Wendy and Lucy and Fido and Spike and whoever and whoever and whoever. <laughs> and Jasper, my grandmother's dog when I was little, who was a tiny, hyper-intelligent dachshund. We would definitely have him in in, we'll, we'll, in memory we'll bring him back there. we've got an unlimited budget and technology is not a problem <laughs> so we we can do this at this festival so that sounds exciting i will be obviously i will be there because i'll be working there but i would be a paying punter at the screening also i'm so pleased i'm looking forward to that now you mentioned having kelly Reithart uh, at the screening also uh, to do a q and a i don't know have you ever interviewed kelly uh, before I haven't interviewed her. I've seen her interviewed a few times and I've, I've watched filmed interviews for this. And I think one of the things that I really admire about her is that in, in interviews, I think actually like a lot of directors, what she wants to talk about is the process, the how. How did we make this film? How did we choose this location? How did we persuade these people to let us make this film in this place? The mixed cutoff, I, re I, I learned from an interview with her that part of the process for that was that each family was literally given a budget 
with which to buy the supplies that they had on their wagon. Whoa. So the actors were doing their own shopping lists and choosing their own products and tools to take with them on the journey. And I, you know, I, I love that. I think she's a really inspiring director as someone who works very much uh, outside the system or maybe alongside the system as someone who's always said, you know, as you said, you know, fit the story to your location, fit your story to your budget, fit your story to your dog. If you have a dog, put the dog in the film. You know, I think she's a real role model for how to make films that that matter and that mean something with the resources that you that you have and whatever background you come from and whatever location you live in. Oh God, I mean, this is a Q and A. I want to. I want to sit in. I want to. As we're walking through the woods of Oregon, you and Kelly on megaphones at the front of the pack, having this conversation in front of the audience whilst we're going for a hike. This is going to be a great event. This is already the perfect night, Sam. Let's make this happen. Do you think this film could or should be longer than ninety minutes? No, no, a hundred percent not. I think it's it's as close to perfect in its length as any film could be. Brilliant. All right. Well, there we have it. Wendy and Lucy is in the festival. We're going to go for a communal hike with all of the dogs in this small town at the end of the screening. Listeners, you have to be there. Jonathan, where can people find out more about what you're up to and go for further reading on on projects you're involved in? Thank you. Uh, Yes, if you would like to know more about Arts Emergency and maybe support us, uh, the website is arts-emergency.org. The Loco London Comedy Film Festival will be back hopefully in the autumn at BFI Southbank. Um, the website is locofilmfestival.com and you can sign up for updates um, as we as we learn them. And then the film we're due to start shooting when we're back allowed to start shooting again is a film called Misanthrope, uh, which is written, well, it's co-written by me with Damien Chiffron, who made the excellent Argentinian film Wild Tales, which I think is maybe just over 90 minutes, um, but which I highly recommend even so. Um, So we'll be shooting that again when everybody's allowed back uh, on location again. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan. Thank you so much for uh, making this happen in the future. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to the show on your podcatcher of choice and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. As an independent podcast, it really helps. We're also available on 90minfilmfest.com. That's 90minfilmfest.com. You can contact us there or on Twitter and Instagram at 90minfilmfest. The show was produced by Louise Owen and me, Sam Clements. The show is edited by Louise Owen with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We are a proud member of the Stripped Media Network. Head over there for some more amazing podcasts. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network. 